0: The healing journey after abortion is different for everyone, and today I'm joined by Jeff Joachim, who shares his journey after an abortion decision. hi folks and welcome to the pro-life guys podcast my name is cam i'm the host of the show and this show is dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion so together we can change minds save lives and transform our culture today is the third in a a series of conversations and and episodes focused on post-abortion healing particularly As it pertains to men. Two weeks ago now, I talked to Kevin Burke, um, co founder of Rachel's Vineyard, to share about the impact of abortion on men and a lot of the behind um, the veil kind of statistics and information regarding um, empowering and inviting men towards um, post-abortion healing. Last week, I covered some tools for conversation for how to navigate conversations with men and women um, who may have experienced abortion in their life. And today, I am so grateful to be joined by Jeff Joachim, who shares his powerful testimony of an abortion decision that he um, really coerced upon his girlfriend at age 17 and his journey of hope and healing through the loving and merciful arms of Christ. Um, since that time, I'm so grateful for Jeff's witness. Um, and and I believe that that it will be a very valuable um, episode for you as well. Whether you are super familiar with groups like Silent No More Awareness Campaign, whether you're not, I feel at times um, the pro life movement often kind of swings between two ends of the pendulum, where you've got a, a hyper academic approach of abortion is wrong because it kills innocent children, as is biologically evident, and the testimony of those around those who have had abortions, those who have been uh, survived abortions are absolutely unnecessary and irrelevant to the abortion conversation. And it swings to the opposite end where there are, are, are individuals and at times where it feels like the many in the movement are pushing that Abortion is wrong because it impacts uh, men and women so profoundly. It is a, a major factor towards the, the mental health crisis that we have in our society with the um, profound number of abortions that are performed worldwide um, and in many developed nations around the world. And, and that if we simply share the experiences, if we share the um, the experiences of post bortive mothers and fathers, then... Um, abortions will never happen again. And I think that both of them are misled because we need to do this journey hand in hand together, that, that we need to engage the whole person and that obviously um, the the academic reason, the, the most foundational reason why abortion is the injustice that it is is because it directly and intentionally kills an innocent human being. Um, that fact stands and yet... As we engage people on street corners and on doorsteps at our dinner table, at our lunchroom table, wherever it may be, we have to understand that the people that we're engaging are not robots. That sure, if the entities making abortion decisions were robots, if all that they did was take in um, academic information, then sure, no abortions would happen. And yet, these are people, people like you and I, people like you and I who build in all sorts of different factors that contribute towards the information um, they use to make their decisions. It's not simply an academic decision, but rather an entirely human decision that builds in their emotional landscape, their experiences, the the pressures and forces at work in their life. And we need more more forces at work who are sharing um, the brokenness and, and tragedy and injustice of abortion as well as the hope and healing. As Lisa Rowe from Support After Abortion often talks about um, that if we could help mothers and fathers never have a second abortion, we would dramatically decrease the abortion rate. Sure, there are lots of people who have their first abortion year after year after year, and yet there are countless mothers and fathers who participate in numerous abortions, who influence those around them to have abortions, who are um, pivotal in this culture war, battling over the lives of the weakest, most vulnerable members of the human family. Um, but you didn't, you didn't come here necessarily to, to listen to me babble. I am thrilled that, that Jeff has been able to make the time to share um, his story, to share his wisdom, his insight, his experience. And I hope and I pray that you um, benefit from his courage, benefit from his sharing of story. And so without further ado, here's my conversation with Jeff Joachim and his experience after abortion. All right, Jeff, thank you so, so much for taking the time to join the Pro-Life Guys podcast. How are
1: you? Doing great, Kim. Great to join you this afternoon. Yes, the pleasure
0: is mine. I know that you're an incredibly busy fella. We were talking off air about a, a number of other podcasts and shows and whatnot that you've been featured on and, and will continue to be featured on because of the the power and and the beauty of your testimony that we're going to dive into in a couple moments here. But I wonder, Jeff, if you could kind of start our, our listeners off with a little bit of background on where you're coming from. I, I know that you're in Tampa now. Are you a Tampa guy born and raised? What, what was your kind of early years in formation? G- give us the, the Jeff
1: Joachin um, kind of origin story, I suppose. Yeah, you know, uh, thank you, Kim, again. Um, I'm 53 years old right now, and I was born and raised in Dartmouth, Massachusetts, and I spent the first 26 years of my life there in Dartmouth, Massachusetts. And then my wife and I, Sandy, moved down to Florida and we've been down here for the last 27 years, so I, I can't figure out if I'm a New Englander or a Floridian. But one thing I know for sure is my accent isn't Floridian, so they, they, uh, they still call me a Yankee, if you will. So, yeah, and, and you know, born and raised in Dartmouth, Massachusetts, um, Cam. You know, a lot of people when they hear my story and see my videos, they think, you know, I must have been, I must have been born into a broken family, and and, and had real abuse situations, but the exact opposite is what was true. You know, I grew up with a, a beautiful mother and father in a good, um, you know, Catholic Christian family. Um, my parents took us to CD, CCD classes when we were younger, we went to church on Sundays. You know, we live the prototypical, you know, Catholic Christian family. Um, I have a brother who's five years older than me and then when he got into high school camp i think about his junior year is when he got his girlfriend pregnant and for a good catholic christian family in new england that's a big black eye and my brother got quite a bit of pushback from my parents and in regards to that but you know he decided to do the admirable thing and that was to have a shotgun wedding uh, so he married his his wife and and they had uh the child that um that um you know who is now a um 36 year old man and and a productive member of society but for me kim you know being five years younger than my brother when i entered into high school it was a completely different story you know my mother who's the most beloved woman in my life outside of my wife um she she poured her love and care and attention on me like no mother could but one thing she wanted to make abundantly clear kim is that if i followed in the footsteps of my brother i think the words that she used was she would castrate me in a nice and kind and loving way so if there is such a thing um, you know but you know so when i got into high school i had to be very careful you know and and and, uh, but senior year came around, and I, I had a pretty serious relationship with my girlfriend. And, um, you know, I got that phone call. You know, a lot of your listeners probably remember that phone call. And that phone call was in the third week of July of 1987. And that was my girlfriend telling me that we had a problem. And immediately, Cam, all I could think about was the conversations that I had had with my mother about being careful and... You know, I was going off to college to play football with the hopes of, you know, getting into the NFL. Um, and all those were going to get washed away even before she finished the sentence. So, you know, she said, Jeff, we're pregnant. And, and you know, my heart just sunk into my stomach, Kim. It, it, uh, it, um, it, was, it was the last thing that I wanted to hear at the time as a 17-year-old man. Um, I should have been looking at it as the greatest gift that God was ever going to give me. But all I could do is look at what it was going to prevent me from being able to accomplish. So I told my girlfriend at the time, I said, listen, I'll call you back in 24 hours. I need some time to think about this, not not pray about it, not consult God about it. But I need to think about it. So I thought about it. All right. I thought about it for 24 hours. I called her up the next day and I said, you need to set the appointment up for the, the abortion. I can't. I can't. I mean, I have a, a, a potential NFL career here in the next four to five years. I can't I can't throw that away and uh, just shows you how ignorant I was at the time. So on, So long story short, Cam, we, we I told her to set up the appointment a week later she set the appointment up in providence rhode island which is about 45 minutes away you know because the high school football star can't get caught at the local pregnancy uh, or the the local abortion clinic excuse me so i drove her to providence rhode island that day and and i'll never forget it well i didn't say a word to her on the way down for one um and then when i pulled up to the porticoche and dropped her off she turned and looked to me looked at me and said, aren't you gonna come in? And I, I said, no, I have no intentions of coming in. So she left the car, she went into the, the abortion clinic and I pulled out into the parking lot camp. And again, it was July of 1987. It was summertime, it was very hot. Uh, there was no wind or breeze and I didn't have any air conditioning in my car. So I was sweating bullets. I was sweating bullets physically but I was, spe- spe- excuse me, I was shedding bullets, sweating bullets spiritually. And I can remember thanking God, I closed my eyes and I said to myself, sweating. I said, God, is this what hell is going to feel like as my girlfriend is in the abortion clinic getting our unborn child uh, taken out of her womb? So when the procedure was over, two hours later, Cam, she came out um put her in the car drove her home gave her her medication pain medication and then i broke up with her a day later so that's kind of the beginning of my story if you will you know as a 17 year old man i had broken all 10 commandments as sad as that is to say to you i had broken all 10 of the commandments that the lord has given us at the age of 17. Mm -hmm. so
0: well, I, Jeff, I, I appreciate the the courage. I, I know that, that this is, I'm sure, never easy to share um, this experience. I'm, I'm sure that it's never easy to have people asking to to understand better. And I, I appreciate the courage. As I mentioned, I, I think it's so valuable and so important for everyone, re- regardless of whether we're going to get into this for those in the audience who may themselves be post-abortive, for those who have friends and family members who have had abortion experiences in their past, but also for those who this might be entirely new to them. I I know that every summer we run internships um, with the organization that I work for, and often a large part of the introduction to our internship is showing them that it's not awful, wicked people who have a desperate desire to kill children who end up having abortions. They're often very, very um, reasonable, very down-to-earth, very relatable people who are, Living their life one day and the next are hit with this moment of crisis, as you mentioned that that phone call we're pregnant or we've got a problem kind of thing and I wonder if if I can be so bold as to ask uh, to to ask a little bit more about that kind of encounter you've got your high school kind of unfolding you, you mentioned a, a football career and ambitions there college that kind of thing can you share with with myself and and also the audience about what those kind of next days and weeks and months look like for you was it a matter of business as usual anyone who saw jeff would have never known that that saturday trip to, to providence or, or uh, whichever day of the week it may have been was such a profound moment in your life did did you have immediate um changes that, that your parents and, and family members were noticing or, or did this kind of fly under the radar
1: for a long time before it really started to rear its head for you yeah great question Kim. you know like most of the men listening on this call, I did probably what they did. And as I buried that issue so deep cam, that it would have taken, uh, you know, I'm the owner of a construction company, it would have taken an excavator with a 10 yard bucket to get that sent that pain that I mean, I buried it so deep. And really, what I ended up doing cam, is is self medicating, you know, even though I was pursuing a football career, the drugs and the alcohol, um, uh, the pornography use, it just accelerated. And I was trying to self medicate myself. And so to answer that question, no one would have ever known any different, other than the fact that they saw that there had to be some pain that I was trying to hide that I was trying to, uh, uh, to bury. But just like most of the men listening, Kim, we're professionals at burying pain. We're professionals at putting a mask on. You know, when your friends come up to you, you know, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Life couldn't be better. You know, family's good, business is good. They tell you what you want to hear, Cam. But right behind that mask is, well, you know, I'm watching pornography an hour a day. I'm playing video games for the younger men six, seven hours a day. you know all these hidden issues that we have and I'm not pointing the finger at anybody these are all issues that I struggled with then after the the abortion and I struggle with now so I buried that pain cam so deep um, into such a deep recess in my heart it c- really I didn't even bring that issue didn't surface itself until my early 30s when my wife and I were wife and I were trying to get pregnant. That's when it first surfaced back up. But for 14 years, I had that buried 100 foot deep. And I had no intentions of uncovering it.
0: None. Yeah. And and I feel as though I uh, so uh, as I mentioned to you, kind of in the build up towards this interview, this has been a bit of a theme. We've talked to to Kevin Burke, um, co-founder of Rachel's Vineyard, um, and and a few others on the topic of of post-abortion recovery and healing. And and what Kevin shared was that for for many, there's something as you described of a, a spiraling as it's trying to avoid um, kind of the elephant in the room, as it were, in, in somebody's life, and and kind of putting blame and guilt elsewhere in again if I can ask in the the follow-through with regards to that that heavier drinking, pornography consumption, that sort of thing, was it a matter of like self-loathing? I I can't, I can't like this is not the person that I wanted to be. And you know what? I'm I'm so frustrated with myself. Was it kind of outwards directed of you know what? The, the entire world is out to get me. How how could this happen to me? I I did everything right on my end. Why why did the the universe conspire against? Me? I don't know if that question makes yeah. sense, but I'm I'm curious about what what was going on in your mind with regards to trying to cope with not only the abortion experience, but I'm sure as people may have. It, it, even if anyone did notice that there were changes in your work ethic, in your lifestyle, maybe they would write it off as the pressure of, of an impending football career, the pressure of senior high school, that kind of thing. It's just got so much on his go. just trying to cope with regular life without thinking much deeper. Was this something that you kind of pushed on to other people or something that, that may have been a little bit more self-reflective and, and trying to distance yourself from yourself, I guess?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that... and I that last part is profound you know it, it it's it's almost like a dichotomy right you you know it, it's it's almost like unforgiveness right Kim unforgiveness is drinking poison and expecting the other person to die right and and for me I poured myself so much into football Kim you know working out two to three hours a day in, in my whole life was dedicated to football post abortion that it was really easy for me to bury bury the issue deep and and i didn't i didn't try to transpose the issue on anyone else i just kept it inside of me I, I kept that cancer inside of me and i tried to bury it with you know the football career that was that was the first thing that i tried to bury the abortion with was a football career and um you know, Cam, by God's graces, I, I ended up being a, a two-time preseason All-American. I had the Buffalo Bills come to, to several of my football games. So I had the support mechanism. I had the the support mechanism with quotes around it. I had the football entourage. I had, I had everyone that wanted, everyone was telling me how great I was. How could I possibly tell anybody that I was broken inside? Right? So, it was really an internalization of the cancer of the pain of of the of the abortion um but but at the same time I was so good at putting forth this impression of being this all American I mean literally the all-american football player um and I couldn't possibly have any deep dark secrets in my closet you know and so I internalized it I didn't project the the the, uh, the, uh, the pain or the suffering on anyone else. I wasn't an easy person to get along with, you know, so maybe my personality had changed, but it was more of an internalization of that cancer, um, that cancer, the post abortive cancer. Gotcha.
0: And, and, and you, you mentioned that was kind of a, a 14 year period in your life from from the age of 17 at the time of the abortion till you, you married your wife um, at age 31. What was it at, at 31? What was it conversations that came up through marriage prep? Was it conversations just candidly talking with your wife that, that kind of started to uncover that abortion experience? What was it that began uh, an uncovering and a, a coping and dealing with that abortion experience for you?
1: Yeah, great question, Cameron. I I hate to keep saying that, but you're you're, you're really pulling back the onion here. Um, It wasn't until probably the fifth or sixth negative pregnancy test that I started thinking about that abortion 14 years ago. Because month after month after month after month of negative pregnancy tests, got me thinking cam you know i'm at that time i started you know having you know studying scripture and whatnot and and taking my faith seriously um and i all i could think about was was this the was i like the people of the time of noah during the flood or was i an egyptian during the plagues and pestilence you know what was the god of the old testament punishing me in our current infertility because of that sin that i had buried 14 years ago and that's when it really started you know cam to to really bubble up to the surface the cancer finally bubbled up to the surface and you know the just the the story of of having my daughter faith mackenzie who's 20 now at that time is a miracle in and of itself because The fertility uh process you know is is very confusing uh it was then and it still is now but essentially what the doctors gave us is are are two choices the first was the ivf procedure in vitro fertilization which obviously catholic christians should dismiss uh um, summarily but that procedure cam was thirty five hundred dollars and it had a seventy percent chance of success and the other procedure was called the GIFT procedure, G-I-F-T. It's a, an acronym. I can't think of the, the name. But that procedure was $10,000, three times as expensive. And it only had a 5% chance of success. So, so I got thrust right into the, the whole life issue. Um, and at that time, I knew plenty about money, but I, I knew little about real faith. But my wife and I prayed about it, and we decided to go with that, the gift procedure, which the Catholic Church is still silent on today. It's a procedure where the egg is taken, the, the, the seed is taken, put in contact with the egg in the uterus, and then God still has to create the, the birth. So um, we decided to go with the more expensive procedure, and by God's graces, he blessed us with Faith McKenzie, who was born on November 22nd of the year, 2002. And and that's Faith McKenzie, not not based on the country Western singer, but based on Hebrews chapter 11 verse one, faith is the realization of what is hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So even though I had never brought the abortion issue to the surface, it forced me to do that through our infertility and then even after God blessed us with, with the greatest gift that God's given my wife and I, I turned on him again, Cam, really, quite frankly, because what I wanted, in addition to my beautiful daughter, who I love immeasurably, I wanted a son. Every father wants a son. So I turned on God again. So I, he gave me the opportunity to reconcile with him in my early 30s. But I turned that into an opportunity to get mad at him, as opposed to reconcile with him. Yeah, and and I, I mean,
0: praise God for for your daughter, Faith McKenzie, a beautiful. Um... Beautiful that that God is so generous in our brokenness, in our in our sin, in our the the number of times, as you mentioned, we we throw His blessings back at Him, we throw silence back at Him without seeking to understand, just um, coming to our own judgments and and that and and so this this experience is is hitting you it's hitting your wife it that i mean that that's the case with sin I'm sure in every case right where where we tell ourselves that it's only impacting ourselves and yet we see the impact that it has on other people and and that often only causes us to become more frustrated and and at times i am sure in this case as well, being frustrated at God with not only the impact on yourself but the impact on your wife, your daughter whom you you would love to for her to have a brother that kind of thing and so through this um, kind of experience this time, season of life of, of frustration and and yeah anger was there a, a turning point when when there was kind of a you know what i need to look at this in a different way what, was there someone or something that kind of spoke into that that season that that got you out of that rut i suppose or yeah. was it something that you simply needed to to bear down in prayer and and hash through because I mean, as much as we're not called to be angry with God at at all times, God wants us in in all seasons of life. And he doesn't want us to run from him while we're frustrated and not give him our anger. He wants our entirety. He knows that that we are prone to anger and prone to frustration and confusion and whatnot. Was there a moment or a person or was it simply bearing down through scripture, through um, your own prayer and reflection?
1: Yeah, there was a very specific moment, and so so my daughter was born when I was when uh, I was thirty three, and my wife was thirty one. At the age of thirty eight, five years later, see when I when I turned from God that time, I poured myself into workaholism camp, which is something I'm sure that a lot of your listeners are are very familiar with: working twenty four hours a day, six days a week, climbing the ladder of success only to figure out it's up against the wrong wall. Um, but at the age of 38, we were uh, in church at, in um, Land Lakes, Florida, Our Lady of the Rosary Parish, and a man small in stature, but a giant in faith walked up to the ambo. And I'll never forget this, Kim, he started talking about authentic male leadership and being the leader of your family and praying with your family and eating dinner with your family. And, Cam, I'm telling you, I, I was sitting there saying to myself, you know, hey, the Cowboys are playing the Giants today at 1 o'clock. And the priest let this small man, I didn't use the word at the time, small, but I, this, he's letting this man waste some of our valuable time when we could be home um, watching the football game or getting ready to watch it. And I'll never forget, I turned and I looked at my wife and I looked at my daughter, and both of them were looking at me with the eyes that were saying, this is something that you need to participate in. So that what that man was speaking of is a program called That Man Is You, and it's in 800 parishes all over the world. It's actually, there are a number of parishes up in Canada. where you are at it as well. So that was when I started to take my faith really seriously, and at that point in time I got involved in the program I started going to church on Wednesday and Sunday because we met on Wednesday mornings I started praying scripture at least an hour every day Um, my wife and I started praying the rosary every day I I really started taking my faith seriously but where the turning point was Kim is when um, The the priest, Father Ron Aubin, at Our Lady of the Rosary, recommended that I get a spiritual director. And the very first time that I met with my spiritual director, Father Ed Sylvia, a beloved man who I have the deepest respect for, he said, Jeff, you need to do a general confession. And a general confession for your listeners that don't know, you essentially have to prepare over a three-month period or longer for some, all of the sins of your past, and you have to do a deep dive. You have to peel back that, peel back that spiritual onion, and really, really dig deep. And I tell you, Cam, uh, I set that uh, confession up for three months after, and I went to Corpus Christi uh, Parish, which is probably fifteen minutes away from our home base. Again, just like the abortion, I had to go somewhere else to get rid of my sin um, or to go, in in the original case, to create the sin. and I went into that general confession that day, Kim, and and, um, it was about an hour and 20 minutes of a general confession. And an hour and 10 minutes into that confession, I had to confess to our merciful God that I had taken one of his children, something that obviously God knew about, 25 years before, but he gives us free will, and he wants us to seek his healing and his reconciliation. So I, I confess that I had taken the life of, of my son so many years before. The tears were rolling down my eyes. The priest in the confessional was with tears were rolling down his. And when he granted me absolution, those sweet words of absolution, he came out of the confessional He gave me a big hug, and he said, welcome home, son. And that is when, Cam, at the age of 42, 25 years later, the hound of heaven had pursued me with great diligence for 25 years. And in an instant, the God of mercy had forgiven me for all of my sins that I had confessed notwithstanding the, the fact that I took the life of my unborn son so many years before. But again, to your listeners, to your listeners that are listening, and I, I, as you said, Kim, I have the blessing of giving this talk all over the country. And I cannot tell you how many men have come up to me after the talk and with just tears pouring down their eyes and, and to see that, and to see them go to confession and reconcile with God, it's, it's an experience that I, I can't really even put words to. But, but the point is, is this, to the men and women that are listening, the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 43, verse 4, you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. If you're, buried, if you're like me, and you buried deep down inside you, An abortion that happened days, weeks, months, or decades before. Seek his mercy. He's not going to judge you. The church may judge you. Your friends may judge you. Your spouse may judge you, but God is not going to judge you. He's only going to forgive you.
0: Yeah, and and I think that's a, a message that is so vital, especially in today's contemporary society. I often talk on the podcast about how the notion of justice is so intuitive for so many people. This notion that if, if you steal from your friend, you steal from your family, you steal from your employer, at some point the rent comes to you, you got to give it back, you got to pay it back, you got to apologize, you have to seek forgiveness, you have to bring justice is is intuitive, but but the mercy component, this notion of justice cannot be met. The justice that is demanded of an action, whether it's something as uh, to the magnitude of abortion or whether it's even something very minuscule, that the notion of mercy is so foreign to so many people in today's society that Hearing of that mercy and being given the permission to receive it i I've, i'm curious about your thoughts and i'd love to dive further into your experience now sharing um, your testimony and as you alluded to the the countless men and and i 'm sure at times women as well who have come to thank you for ultimately granting permission to grieve permission to um process that with so many forces and individuals and groups and entities that are pushing people to bury bury that that experience, bury that secret, bury that um, whatever it may be for as as you did for those 14 years of your life as so many forces push people and don't give them permission to engage and and cope and comprehend and seek that mercy. What has your experience been maybe in a greater way in sharing that testimony at conferences, at churches, with individuals and seeing that weight being taken from their shoulders, I guess, and and giving them permission to begin processing their abortion experience?
1: You know, Kim, that is exactly the right word that you're using right there, permission permission. I integrated that in prayer. I integrated that into my conference talk. When I do the men's conferences, I give a forty-five minute talk, and prior to giving the one in Pittsburgh last uh, September, I think it was, God put that on my heart to say to the men, um, "Is let my woundedness and my vulnerability be a permission slip for you to come out of that darkness, because that's all he he's." He hunts after the one. He leaves the 99 to come get the one like me and like you. Um, But, Cam, I I tell you, the last three years, you know, I, I always thought that my mission was to be vulnerable to men so that they could get the healing that they needed and go to confession or reconciliation with the God of the universe, God of mercy. Well, last year in January, I did a talk at St. Pete Catholic High School to obviously it's a co-ed high school and I got done with that talk cam and God taught me probably the most valuable lesson that he's taught me in this last three year period uh, of, of abortion healing and so after I got done with the talk uh the the principal asked me to go off on the side so that people could approach me on a one-on-one basis if necessary and many many of the young high school students did but at the end of the line there were four girls walking together and I, I think it was either the third one or the fourth one um as they were walking by the first two just gave me the you know thank you very much for your time and the third girl literally looked into my soul I, I could she was looking not in my eyes she was looking into my soul she rubbed her stomach with the tear coming down her cheek and she said she voiced the words she could not even say it audibly she mouthed the words thank you and cam you know i i'm I'm a civil engineer by trade. I think I'm a smart guy, but that was God telling me, you do not understand the beginning of the mercy that I want to have for my children. This was a 14, 15 year old girl that because God allowed me the opportunity to stand before her and show her the brokenness that you're gonna feel for the next 20 or 30 years, that little angel and that little embryo in her belly who now is on this earth because of god he opened up my eyes to to this is not just a male thing it is not just a female thing it is a god thing you know genesis tells us in chapter 2 right that, that a man shall leave his mother and father and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Dare I say, Kim, that when the men and women in the pro-life movement today, who have been fighting this fight for fifty years now, when the women start forgiving the men for not being there for them, and when the men start standing up for their children in the womb, and they do that together as one. That is when we'll start beating the King Herod of today, the Planned Parenthood Parenthood of today. But if we keep throwing rocks at each other inside of our little echo chambers, the enemy is going to laugh for the next 50 years. We, We don't need to be fighting each other. We need to be fighting the enemy. And I say fighting, I mean fighting with this right here, the rosary. The weapon of mass destruction not with words of anger or justice or incrimination but with prayer so it, it that's one story cam i could i could tell you another hundred stories of men i'll tell you one other quick one in pittsburgh i mentioned pittsburgh so i'll bring that up when i got done with that talk there were three tears in the audience and i said to myself before the talk how am I going to get out of here after the talk? Because after I give that talk, it has a very cathartic effect, not only on the people listening, but me as a human. I'm a weak man. I'm, a, I'm six foot three, 260 pounds, but I am a little tiny wounded man on the inside. So when I get done with my talk, I'm really broken emotionally. So I tried to dart out the side exit. And do you know that an 82-year-old man got up out of his seat and beat me before I could get to the exit? And he looked at me, and he looked, I'll never forget these words. He said to me, I never realized how merciful our God is. And he threw his arms around me. And let me just tell you this. I never tried to, to, say specifically what an individual says to me because i think that's between them and god but let's just say this he was 82 years old and he currently has a child in the early not that there's age in heaven but 60 years before he had taken the life of his child in the womb 60 years before when a man lets out a primal scream almost after being set free by god from 60 years of captivity it's 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 so humbling it's hard to even repeat but they come in droves after him there was another 20 guys because they're just they're waiting cam for somebody to say to them it's okay for you to make that mistake it's okay for you to run into the arms of God. He does not judge you. And when they hear that Kim, it's an experience like nothing you could you can when you hear a man let out 60 years of pain, it's an experience that you can't put in words. You just can't put in words.
0: Yeah. And and for many of those in, in the pro-life movement as, as to reaching out and, and talk to people, whether it's at conferences, whether it's at street corners and on doorsteps to, to give people that opportunity to give them that open door and, and that permission, as we talked about to start processing um, an experience that they've buried for so long. Um, I, I'm curious as, as we start to wind towards the end of the episode, Jeff, I, I wonder, I, I'm, I'm sure that there are many days I, I thank God profoundly profusely for for your courage for your witness and you are sharing I'm, I'm sure that there are days that you are so grateful to be able to have that opportunity um, to share this experience but I I'm sure that that being human being being a, a broken man like all of us are um, there are days that, that you say you know what I I want to jet for that exit early I want to find excuses to not do this conference I got invited to share this talk in in st. Louis or, or California or Canada wherever it may be you know what I, I just I don't want to have to share this again um, i I know that there's a, a ton of people, men and women alike, but I, I feel like it, it's something that, that hits men in a very profound way, especially when it comes to reflecting on our own brokenness. We have a, a massive problem um, with the organization that I work with, recruiting young men to um, the, the street outreach that we do. We'll often have dozens of women for each fellow that, that comes to do street outreach. And, and there's this hunger amongst our, our female colleagues saying, like, where are the men? Why can't they come out? And many of the men, that I talk to who are feel as though would be hypocritical or, or they just don't prioritize this, you know, I'll support from the background. I, I won't take that lead. I won't be upfront. I won't be the head of this family. I won't um, have the courage. What is it for you that helps you to have the courage day after day um, to share such a such a personal way that, that um, I mean, no offense to others who I've heard share their testimony, but I, I have certainly heard people who have it written down on the piece of paper. And it, it isn't a, a, a human in engagement sort of thing, that, that this is a matter of reviewing the, the facts of the past and, and praise God for them as well. But for you to be so personally invested and to share from the depths of your heart... Um, to, to strangers day after day. What is it that, that helps you to have that courage that empowers you to know that by sharing this, maybe for some it falls on deaf ears, but, but like that young girl that you shared, like others that you have been blessed to, um, to impact, that, that continues your, your courage to be able to share this over and over again um, in
1: hopes of having a, a positive impact? That's the only easy question you've asked so far, (laughs) but it has a complicated answer. And I get asked that question all the time. Kim. And this is this is how. okay, this is the deal that I have with God. Now that he's forgiven me, now that my wife carries my burden with me. Now that my son is in heaven, I pray to him. He prays to me every day. I ask for his prayers every day. I've forgiven my girlfriend for for putting in that position. And I share my story with men all over the country, okay? But here's the secret sauce, Cam. The deal that I have with God is very simple. I do not put limitations on God's mercy, it's unfathomable, and it's not mitigated by the norms of his justice. But for me, as a broken man, no different than Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 9 through 10 paul's asking for jesus to take that thorn out of his flesh and what does jesus say my grace is sufficient for you for power is made perfect through weakness see cam i keep a little bit of that thorn in my flesh because i do not want it to go away the only time i want it to go away is when i go through the gates of heaven And I give Jesus a big hug and I give the blessed mother a big hug and I walk over to my aborted son and I can wrap my arms around him, Cam, and I can hear him say to me, Dad, I love you. When I hear those words, Cam, that's when I will stop pushing. That's when I will stop trying to get men to come out of the darkness and into the light. You know, one of my favorite movies, Cam, is Braveheart. And William Wallace is sitting there speaking to his fellow Scotsmen as they're getting ready to fight the Brits. It was three to one, most people say. The Brits outnumbered the the Scots. But what did William Wallace say? What William Wallace said to the Scots then, I say to the men listening now, fight today and you may die, run and you may live. In many moons from now, when you are on your deathbed, would you trade every day from now until then for just one chance, one chance to tell our enemies that they can take our life, but they cannot take our freedom. I say to you men listening, it is time to stand up and be the leaders of your family. Put the mouse down. Turn off the pornography. Put the game controller down and start praying with your family, man. Start being the leader, the spiritual leader of your family. The the woman, they're dying for us to do that, man. They're dying for us to do that. So how do I keep doing it every day? day? Can't because I want to hear my son tell me that he loves me. I don't need him to forgive me. Only God needs to forgive sins, and he's already done that. But I will go from one corner of this earth to the other corner of this earth, speaking of God's mercy until enough men and women hear it that we rise up, And we conquer the King Herod of today, Planned Parenthood of today. They want to start selling abortion pills in CVS and Walgreens. You know what? We'll have a hundred men in front of every CVS and Walgreens praying a rosary on their knees. That's how we'll defeat this evil empire. I'm going to say one last thing here, Kim, and it's a question for you and for your audience. How many, what was the leading cause of death in the world last year, 2022? What was the leading cause of death in the world? I'll answer it for you, abortion. 44 million babies were taken in the womb. 120,000 a day across this world, the size of Hartford, Connecticut or College Station, Texas, every day was aborted. Yet we sit here and pretend like it's going to be someone else's fight to win. Jesus wins the fight, men and women, but he needs hands and feet to do it. Those hands and those feet are you and me.
0: Amen. Amen. That's what this is all about, Jeff. And I appreciate the, the compelling words to, to mobilize people. This is what we need, that we, we don't need somebody else to love our neighbor for us. We need to step up to the plate by God's grace and with his mercy day after day, so that with that hunger to hear those words, um, well done, good and faithful servant, when, when we meet him in heaven, that's what we're striving for. And, and by God's grace, we will be his hands and feet here on earth, reaching to a broken world. This isn't a matter of only perfect people can minister to those who are wounded, that, that we are all wounded, um, people, the, um, I, I forget the, the exact quote, but, but in the, the field hospital of, of this earth, Um, All of the doctors are wounded. All of the nurses are wounded. We are here to minister and and convey and deliver God's grace and mercy um, and open that door for the people around us. Thank you, Jeff, so, so much for this message of mercy, the message of courage and virtue. And, And to everyone listening and watching on YouTube and everywhere, please do answer this call that we're not calling just the smartest, just the most capable, just the strongest people. Every single one of you has a spot in the pro-life movement. Everyone has a role in the pro-life movement. It might look different than the person standing shoulder to shoulder with you. We all have different um, roles and callings just as as we hear through scripture, that, that um, it is not for the, the ear or the mouth to call to the foot or the hand, um, that, that you're better or more important um, than the other. We're all in this together. We need different people with different skill sets, different experiences, different capacity and opportunity to engage. And, and I thank you, Jeff, so, so much. Before I ask you um, to kind of close us in prayer here, where can people find more about you, your ministry, um, and and maybe any upcoming events that you might have that they might be able to meet you um, and maybe others um, who share similar stories? Where can people find more about you?
1: Yeah, I'm... I'm uh a uh, very non-social media type of guy, Cam. Yeah. Uh, but in the last couple of years, I've just, I've gotten overwhelmed from so many different sources. I mean, LinkedIn, um, you, they can engage me there. Uh, we have a YouTube channel now that has 15 different videos on it, ranging from abortion to alcoholism, to, to uh, drug abuse, to workaholism, to unforgiveness. So Jeff Joaquin, YouTube channel, uh last name spelt j-o-a-q-u-i-n Um that's where you can you can reach me. That's the best places to reach me. Eventually I'll graduate into Twitter and Facebook and and uh Instagram. But um that's a slow road for me, Cam, because I I think social media is uh the workshop of the enemy. So I, I'm being very careful and and being guided with with some really good people around me that are steering me in the right direction. But But ultimately, if your listeners hear one thing, Kim, let it be this. God is waiting to shower you with his mercy, period. You don't need courage. You need humility, and you need his mercy. And he's waiting to give it. He's waiting to give it. He's dying. He's already died to give it to you. So run for his mercy. Set yourself free come out of the darkness and into the light. And then we can start battling together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you so, so much, Jeff, for taking the time. I I am
0: grateful to God for your witness, for your ministry, and for taking the time to share with us today. Thank you so, so much. God bless you, Kim. Thank you. All right, folks. That was my conversation with Jeff Joaquin um, and his um, journey, his life journey from the age of seventeen, at which he pressured his girlfriend to have an abortion. Um, Fourteen years of silence and burying this abortion experience, and over 50, uh, over twenty years now of grappling with the shock waves of that. Sharing his testimony, um, sharing with people that, that listen to him, that permission to seek the mercy of God um, that is there for each and every one of us, because God came, um, sent his only son while we were yet sinners, um, that he may re- uh, redeem the world through him. Um, Christ is here for you, for me, whatever your story has been. There is no sin too great for Christ to forgive. If we come to him with repentant hearts, um, if that's part of your journey, run to Jesus. If it's not part of your journey, still run to Jesus with everything that is part of your journey. Um, And allow this to empower us to engage others, whether it's sharing your own testimony um, to share about the brokenness and and experience of abortion, whether it's simply trying to protect those um, who stand before us from going down that path, whether it's preventing them from following you down that path or whether it's preventing them from going down regardless of your background experience. We need everyone. We need all hands on deck. This is a culture war that involves all of us. Um, and so please, please do um, look for for opportunities to engage. I hope that you enjoyed this um, conversation and appreciate um, Jeff's courage as much as I do. Um, if if you haven't already subscribed to the channel, please do so on whatever podcatcher you are listening on. Um, help us on YouTube. We're, we're well up over 500 subscribers now. My goal for the year, if at all possible, is to hit 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. So if you haven't found us yet, uh, we're on YouTube, Pro-Life Guys um, Podcast. I think you just search Pro-Life Guys Podcast and you'll find us. Please do um, check us out there. And if you haven't already signed up for our mailing list, go to the website, ProLifeGuys.com. You can sign up there. We do some giveaways. But if you don't want to trust Providence and and you want to get your hands on some merch, whether it's the the drinking vessels up here above me, if you're watching on YouTube, whether it's t-shirts or other things, um, you can also... Excuse me, sign up to be a Patreon supporter or purchase um, the merch off of our website. The website, again, prolifeguys.com um, and on Patreon at prolifeguys. Uh, sorry, at patreon.com/slash prolifeguys. Thanks a ton for tuning in. May God bless you abundantly wherever you're at, however many hours are left in your day. Hey.